You are about to embark on a journey. A journey where your worst fears become reality. A journey where hell is not below us, but amongst us. Don't be afraid, relax, and take a seat while I open the box of horrors. Good afternoon, horror story junkies, and welcome back to another episode of Box of Horrors. My name is Israel Johnson, and I am your host. Today we will hear a story by an author named Adam Neville. He wrote a short story collection titled Some May Not Sleep. I really like that title, by the way. In that short story collection, there's a story titled Mother's Milk. It is about a family who a family who lives in the woods and their only source of nutrition and substance is the mother's milk. I hear this story is pretty good. I haven't read this story. I like to keep it that way so that I can enjoy the story just like you guys are. But let's jump right into it and let's see how this one turns out. See you guys at the end. Exiled like a degenerate king on a cardboard throne, Saul sleeps down here in the gloom, same time every day. All seven feet of his bulk rest. Thick limbs splay amongst the boxes and acres of bubble wrap. His big head is thrown back and making strangled sounds. There is a moon of a face above a neck tiered with fat. Luminous from afar in the dusk of the warehouse. Left among empty factories on the edge of the city, just the two of us work here in this metal labyrinth where aisles of skeletal shelves, the color of battleships, go on forever. Above us, the buzzing fluorescent suns on the corrugated ceiling bleach our skin. Together, we are neglected by the managers in a distant office block and avoided by the drivers who come for our packages. Square mountains of boxes that we pack, seal, stack, and then stuff into the lorry that is parked inside the giant roller doors at the end of the day. As I watch Saul sleep until the afternoon period when our shuffling under the weight of boxes begins again. I fancy I could run away, but he makes sounds like gas escaping whenever I stray far. Through those sticky lids, I think he can see me. Saul, I whisper, Saul, Saul, it's time. My voice is quiet and I keep my distance from the blaster mass as I try to rouse it. Rising without a sound from sleep or out of the shadowy aisles, he still frightens me. Before me, an eye opens, a blank gray shark eye, soon joined by the other eye to move inside the doughy curves of his eye sockets. There is a sound from dewy lips as if a billiard ball is passed from one cheek to another. Then Saul speaks oversized tongue speech 
that I have learned to understand. Milk. He wants milk. And then we work some more before the pickup. After lifting the metal flask from the little white table, I cradle the sloshing torpedo in my arms and deliver it to his moist paws. Big hands gently take it with a touch like cold cheese. Turning my face away, I hear guzzling sounds but do not watch the feeding. It reminds me of her, the mother, Saul's mother. My mother, she likes to think. Signaled by a grunt, I collect the flask when he's finished. Watching my own hands tremble on the lid, screwed tightly down, my stomach flops over as I carry the flask back to the little white table. Hunger starts in me with a growl, and I can feel Saul smiling behind me. In the past, I would only take the milk and tea, but now there's no resisting such delicious cream. At night, I dream of milk. With the work done, we go again to the place Saul calls home, a house on the top of a hill protected by a fence and hidden by the trees in the dark. We are the last people to leave the bus and dismount by the big oaks at the bottom of the hill. Then the bus turns around, almost by itself, because the driver never stops staring at us. Old iron bars with spikes on top run around the base of the hill, but Saul has a key for the heavy gate I can't move. He opens the gate and we pass through. It slams shut behind us. Walking in silence, we go through the black gaps between tree trunks. Pine needle and weedy smells rise thickly from the ground. Above the leafy canopy guts out the light. Darkness presses against us and I feel peculiar as the odors of the forest pad my brain with a thick creamy drowsiness, flowing through me and over me and getting behind my eyes too. But with nowhere else to go, I follow Saul's shambling up the path and into the restless woods where I imagine children running away from the dewy-faced thing in front of me, flitting like little ghosts like they did when I escaped and ran blind into the shopping center full of Christmas lights. What a commotion I caused. Seeing my reflection in a shop window made me weep like a baby, a big, fat, white baby. That was a long time ago, and I haven't run away since. Carrying the can of milk, which is now empty and must be brought home every day, I whip my head from side to side. Birds the size of dogs are flapping out there. They crash about in the undergrowth, and their wings make wet leather sounds. I can't see them, but Saul told me they're what's left of unfarmed game. Can't picture pheasants. My mind tries to see greeny blue birds pecking the ground nearby, but my heart still gallops inside my mouth when I hear them. Same every night, and there have been many journeys up through the trees. As we climb, Saul makes a smell amongst the huge oaks and confires. Something bubbles from his flabby body and smells of sulfur. I make the same smell now. It comes from the milk, gallons of frothing sweetness that we slurp down. 
After passing through acres of woody darkness, we come to the houses that have been owned by Saul's family for longer than they can remember. Looking up from the bottom of the hill, you can't see the houses because they are smothered by the trees where the forest suddenly thickens around two white buildings. Upper bows and branches then curl over the pointy red tiled roofs to blot out the stars and only when you're in the center of the garden can you see the sky through a small hole up in the top of the trees like you're at the bottom of a huge bowl with curved sides and a rim. After returning from a first escape, I spent ages trying to find the garden gate on my hands and knees so frightened by the loud flapping in the woods around me, and in the end, only my stomach was able to lead me back to the gate and the houses where the milk is kept. When we pass through the hidden gate and go through the coral of trees, the first thing we see is a pale lawn. Milky green grass grows here. It's short and soft on dirt that is black if you dig down with a finger. The lawn is perfectly flat and smells sweet too. It's amazing in all these trees is this circle of grass like the top of the hill has been chopped off for the houses and the dances that I dream of. This evening, soon, as I'm in the garden, the grass catches my eyes and holds my stare. It grows in my dreams. Sometimes in the middle of the night, I imagine I've woken up face down and that I'm pushing my nose and mouth into the lawn's soft pelt, sucking the sugary blades, shining under the strongest moons. The lawn often looks like a big pond, too. I like to watch it from my window to bring the dreams back. The good dreams, not the bad ones, when things move across the bright surface. Silence and darkness inside the houses now. No lights on behind the windows and the square white walls that remind me of the sheds that farm animals live inside. There are no flowers or shrubs around the great solid building. It is divided into two houses by a thin inner wall. Each back door faces the milky pasture and leads into a kitchen. Like lonely sentinels, the house watch the sky and are lost to the world below. In the kitchen of our house, we light the lamps full of pink oil and wait, but never for very long. Over they come, rushing through the back door, the mother and the brother, Ethan. In the days before I drank the milk, I used to wonder what they were doing next door with the lights out. Soon as I started to drink, I stopped thinking about it. Be humble, stay quiet, lower the eyes. In the mother's presence, it is best not to stare. Her shape is faster than the first son Saul, but the pallor of the flesh is the same. With my eyes on the floor, I can see the bottom of the floral dress that sticks to her bulk in places. In the pinky light, in rushing shadows, I see sparrow legs under the hem, as if her putting body has been smashed down on two bone pins to stop it, rolling around on the floor. But she's fast on those legs. Usually I barely have time to run upstairs and hide in my room when I hear her feet skittering around from next door.
She speaks to me in a deep voice, with booming words. She says, I have done wrong. Moving my eyes, I look at the tiny, dainty maid sign on the enamel cooker that is next to the rickety kitchen table. Reading the letters to take my mind off her voice, I see they are made from chrome, like the names on the metal grills of old cars. Look at me, little bastard, she says. I shake my head. I don't want to look. She makes me sick, even more than my own bulbous shape looking out of a mirror. Perhaps this is why there are no mirrors in our house, but in the bus window, I can always see what the milk has done to my face. Shadows flick around her stick legs, made by the quick movements of her short arms. Her gruff voice rises slowly. I turn my hot face from the dainty maid and look at her naked arms. There is no elbow. Dimpled stumps end in baby hands. Puppet fingers move like anemones in a rock pool. Look at me, little bastard. This time I obey. White eyes with a purple iris are pressed like studs into the cushion of her face. On top of her head is a messy thatch of fine white hair. Around the wet mouth there is more hair. I have done wrong, she says. Never bring milk and bread home from the outside. How many times have you been told? She thought I was ready. Ready for what? Doesn't she realize that I will always hold on to the last bit of myself? What is left of me? Those fuzzy images I have in my memory before the milk craving start fires inside my body? This scolding means that she has been in my little room and gone through my things. All alone in the unlit house, cleaning and weeping while I'm at work. She searches about. I imagine her face when she found the loaf and the carton of normal milk that I brought home yesterday. I bet she screamed. The telling off is soon over. She has a good mind not to give me milk tonight. On my face, there must be a look of horror. I feel it tighten my podgy cheeks and crease my forehead. But then she smiles. I will be allowed my share after all. Now where is this dirty washing? She asks. I want all of it. Ethan appears from around the hem of her yellow and brown circus tent dress. Glad to see me and pleased the telling off is over. He frolics like a puppy. He jabbers at me in his strange buzzing voice and I can hardly make sense of all, even after all this time. To please the watching mother, for it is my job to amuse Ethan, I hold a stupid grin on my face until it aches. This small body speeds around the kitchen, like a fleshy barrel on tiny legs, covered in old man's hair, jabber, jabber, jabber. Will he ever shut up? Sometimes I want to smack the little pig face, but he'll only run next door and tell the mother. After the mother collects the washing in white pillowcases, she leaves the kitchen and returns to her house next door. Saul, Ethan, and I sit around the wooden table in the flickering pink kitchen and wait. Our elbows make the table rock where the oil lanterns sit. Light ripples against the brown cupboards shining on all the glass windows 
and off the china dishes we are forbidden to touch. Groaning and yawning, sounds start inside us all when we hear her coming back. Outside she waddles across the lawn to make us wait like a big plucked goose with no beak and chin feathers. Milk. Here is the milk, frothing and slopping in big ivory colored jugs. It's brought around on a broad tin tray painted with green, blue, and red stripes. Her photo paws hold the tray under her chin and it always looks so heavy for her. There's one flag on each. Little squalls and squirts of excitement start in Saul, Ethan, and me. Warm cream smells fill my nose and I can almost see the little bubbles in the soapy fluid. It's like starving and dying off thirst when you're near the fresh stuff. You have to have it quickly, slug it down with big gulps and let it thicken inside you all the way down until your belly is full. There is bread too, oily bread soaked in cream. Steady boys, she says, but all we can hear is the rushing sound when we close our eyes and feed. After the meal, I run upstairs to make sure that mother hasn't been stealing again. I know she has been in my room to take my normal bread and milk, which is so bland and thin and makes me sick now. Straight out of it comes like a fountain after it touches my stomach. But maybe I tell myself outside milk will help water down the strength of her produce. In the bedroom, I go rummaging through the bottom of the cupboard with the mothball smell to check my little stash. There should be a comb, a wallet, and a broken watch and a shoebox. Everything else is gone. There used to be letters held together by a rubber band, but the mother took them. This house doesn't have a number and no one writes to the family anyway, but people used to mail letters to the store where I work with Saul. A girl used to send letters and cards for a while too, and I liked the one with happy birthday written on it. Big pink letters on the front and blue number 30 inside. Although nothing more has been taken from the shoebox, I see the contents are disturbed. The mother's little hands have been in the hair thin. Fortunately, I keep the photo of the girl safe under my mattress. I want to remember the girl, like I do in the store before the hunger grows, and I circle the little white table with the metal flask on top. But when I look for the photo of the girl with the charcoal eyes, thin body and long brown hair, the rage comes out. The mother has taken the photo along with the bread and milk. Anger boils inside me and sweats across my skin. I decide to escape again. These are the same feelings as before when I ran down through the trees and managed to get over the gate. Back then I wasn't so fat or sleepy and the cold snow kept me awake. I hate myself for taking the milk. If I had left it alone back in the beginning of the tenancy, I would be with the girl I can't remember properly, and not with the mother. My hate adds to rage. I run downstairs and smash the milk jug on the kitchen floor. Upstairs, Saul closes his heavy boot with a thump that I hear through the ceiling. Ethan appears from under the table to buzz and jabber 
and run around the kitchen as if the house is on fire. Shouting and slamming, I run from the house, through the back door, and into the garden. Heading for the gate in the woods beyond, I cross the lawn. Anger drives my podgy legs, and I don't even care about the pain between my rubbing thighs. My heart gurgles, and my little lungs feel raw, but I keep running. Shouldn't have turned around by the gate. I only look to see if Saul or Ethan are following me. They aren't, but I see movement in the mother's house. At the kitchen window is a face pressed against the glass. What looks like a huge white hair with buck teeth stares at me with pink eyes. It is the father. All right, so we're going to do things a little bit differently today for this episode. So we're going to do a part two next week. So part two will pick up immediately after. Um, it'll pick up immediately next week. So same time, same place. Hope you guys enjoyed half of that story as I did reading half of it. Um, take care. We'll see you guys next week on another episode of Box of Horrors. Bye for now. Thank you.